comes again from the book of Genesis and is the continuation of Joseph's story from last week. It's Genesis chapter 45, verses 1 through 15. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, Send everyone away from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, so dismayed were they at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come closer to me. And they came closer. He said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land for two years, and there are five more years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all of Egypt. Hurry up and go to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not delay. You shall settle in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me. You and your children and your children's children as well as your flocks, your herds and all that you have. I will provide for you there. Since there are five more years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have will not come to poverty. And now your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my own mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father how greatly I am honored in Egypt in all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept while Benjamin wept on his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. Last week, we heard the story of Joseph's having been sold into slavery by his own family. We heard how the brothers plotted against their father's favorite son because they were jealous of his dreams and his place in his father's heart. First, they decided to kill him. Next, they decided simply to throw him into a pit in the desert and let him die. Then they had an even better idea. They decided to leave Joseph in said pit until it became profitable for them to pull him out and sell him to a band of traders heading to Egypt. It was a win-win. They got rid of their pesky, irksome brother and made a little money in the process. Yet something that strikes me, something I wonder if you notice, is that in last week's text, the name of God is not mentioned even once. This is unique among the patriarchal narratives. Abraham directly encounters God multiple times and ways throughout his life. God appears to Isaac and gives him direct commands. God comes to Jacob in a dream and even wrestles him bodily through an entire night. But not Joseph. God doesn't come to Joseph directly in any way throughout his life. For Joseph, God is wholly mute and at the same time, deeply present. Between last week's narrative and this one, Joseph has endured much. He was sold into slavery to an Egyptian master, Potiphar, who was the captain of Pharaoh's guard. Potiphar saw that God was with Joseph and put Joseph in charge of his entire household. 
Joseph prospered greatly, but he was indeed still a slave. After about 10 years as a slave, Potiphar's wife tried to seduce Joseph and accused Joseph of the same. So Potiphar had Joseph jailed with Pharaoh's prisoners. Yet the guards saw that God was with Joseph, and he put Joseph in charge. While Joseph was in charge at the jail, he came to have a reputation as an interpreter of dreams. After some years in prison, Pharaoh had a dream no one in his court could interpret. And the cupbearer, whose dream Joseph had interpreted in prison, remembered Joseph. Joseph was brought into Pharaoh's court and told the dream, and he interpreted it. He told Pharaoh there would be a seven-year agricultural boon, followed by seven years of famine, and that they should store up grain to help the nation survive. Pharaoh saw that God was with Joseph. So he accepted this interpretation and, on the spot, put Joseph in charge of the whole land of Egypt. He was given Pharaoh's signet ring and dressed in a fine robe. In one day's time, Joseph went from being an imprisoned slave to second in command of an entire nation. And the nation prospered. After the seven years of abundance, the famine began. Egypt had prepared so well that they had enough grain to sell to other nations. Back in Canaan, Jacob found out there was grain to be bought in Egypt, so he sent his ten older sons to buy some so that they would not die from famine. The brothers came into Joseph's presence because he was in charge of grain sales. Though decades had passed by this point, he recognized his brothers straight away, but they didn't recognize him. Joseph accused the brothers of being spies rather than those seeking grain for survival because he, too, could scheme like his father. He required the brothers leave Simeon in his custody while the others went and retrieved the youngest, Benjamin, to corroborate their story. And when the brothers left, Joseph wept. The brothers returned to Canaan with their sacks of grain, and the silver they had tried to pay returned to them. And Jacob refused to let Benjamin go to fetch Simeon. He grieved his second son as lost rather than risk the life of his youngest. Eventually, however, they ate all of the grain they had, and when it had run out, the brothers begged their father to let them return with Benjamin and buy more food so that they may not die. Finally, their father agreed, and he sent them along with many gifts and a double portion of silver. This time, when they arrived in Egypt, Joseph gave instructions that the brothers be taken to his home for a lunch. They were reunited with Simeon, and when Joseph arrived at the meal, the eleven brothers bowed down to him just as his decades-old dream had said they would. When Joseph saw Benjamin, he could no longer control his emotions. Joseph left the room and wept. The next morning, he sent the brothers home with all the grain they could carry, all of their money, and he secreted his silver cup into one of the bags. Joseph, too, could scheme, like father, like son. This time, however, he sent a guard after his brothers, asking why they had stolen from him. The brothers denied the theft and promised on the spot that the thief would be taken as a slave in Joseph's household. The cup was found, of course, in Benjamin's sack. The brothers returned to Joseph to beg for his release, for they had promised that Benjamin would be returned to Jacob, lest Jacob die of grief. Judah offered himself in Benjamin's stead. After decades of separation, after lies and scheming and hurt, finally we enter into today's narrative. 
When Judah offered himself for Benjamin, Joseph could no longer control himself. He sent all the Egyptians away so that he was alone with his 11 brothers, and he began to weep openly in front of them. He wept so loudly that everyone heard, his own attendants and even those of Pharaoh. And when he regained some modicum of control, he said, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? The brothers, awestruck and probably horror-struck, could not answer. He drew near them, letting them look into his face and repeated his claim, I am Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And in their silence, Joseph goes on, And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are five more years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. And here is the critical piece. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. God had never spoken to Joseph. God had never come to him in a dream or wrestled with him until daybreak. God had never promised to make of him a great nation or give him an uncountable number of descendants. Somehow, though, Joseph knew the presence of God and others saw that in him. I find the story of Joseph's knowing to be one of the most beautiful in the biblical canon for this reason. Not many of us can say an angel has announced that we will bear a child in our old age. And I, for one, hope that never, ever happens to me. (laughs) Not many of us can say we have wrestled with God and prevailed. Yet those around Joseph knew God was with him, such that even when he was in impossible circumstances... The presence made its mark on Joseph's world. The quiet knowing of God's presence may be all we have to hold on to in the darkest moments of our lives. God was with Joseph in the pit. God was with Joseph in the terror of being sold into slavery. God was with Joseph when he was wrongly accused of trying to seduce his master's wife. God was with Joseph in prison. God was with Joseph when he was brought before Pharaoh. God was with Joseph as he ruled over Egypt. God was with Joseph when his brothers came. God was with Joseph even when he schemed to have them return with Benjamin. God was with Joseph, always, already. Joseph says all these things happened to him so that he could preserve the lives of at least some of his family. Yet we must wrestle with what is a difficult theme in this text. Joseph says the evil that came to him was of God, not of his brothers. Do we believe that? Do we believe that God visits evil upon people? Do we believe that God preordains suffering? One way of reading this text is to say, yes, God predestined such things. But I find this a difficult position to support. This is not loading any further. (laughs) Technology is super fun, friends. So another way of reading Joseph's words is to understand the presence of God as something that helps us endure. There's a significant difference between predestination and sovereignty. 
If we believe God preordains the events of our lives, we are rendered powerless to change them. And what's more, we are free to dismiss the impact of our actions on others. We are freed from personal responsibilities for the things that we do to hurt people. Often, I think we are like Joseph's brothers. We visit evil upon God's beloved and go on with eating our lunch. I imagine it is in these moments God grieves having chosen the always ever presence. It would be easier on the heart of the creator to draw away, to create distance between God's self and the creation, but that is not the character of the holy. Rather, it is God's character to be with us, each and every one of us, as we traverse and travail. God is with the scheming brothers. God is with Pharaoh. God is with Jacob. God is with Joseph. God is with us. I imagine in the intervening decades, Joseph grew in wisdom and temperance, Suffering has a way of doing that in our lives. When he is reunited with all of his brothers, Joseph is able to articulate the divine sovereignty in his life, a sovereignty more powerful than anything his brothers could have done to him. They're not released from personal responsibility for their sin, for what they did cannot be described as anything other than evil. The end does not justify the means. But God has changed Joseph as well as his siblings. Joseph is not only a man to whom his brothers will bow, but a man who invites salvation and forgiveness and restoration in his family line. Joseph is able to recognize this divine sovereignty and so encounters the holy in that space. His recognition of the presence of the divine is just as profound as that of his forefathers and mothers. Joseph never saw God, never heard God's whisper, never touched God in a wrestling match. He simply knew, and that knowing was enough. What are we to take, then, from Joseph's story? I suggest the following. First, God may not stop evil from occurring in our lives. It is our responsibility to live in peace and harmony and justice to right historical and present day wrongs. Next, I would suggest that God is always already with us all when we are perpetrating evil and when we are doing good. God was just as much with the brothers as with Joseph. And God is deeply grieved by the pain we cause one another. Finally, I suggest God's sovereignty is big enough to make the impossible possible. It is big enough to help us sense the nearness of a God whose presence is silent. It is big enough to help us see the error of our ways. It is big enough to help us make sense of tragedy. It is big enough to heal. In these strange and difficult times, friends, I think that Joseph's story reminds us, first and foremost, that God, unseen and unbidden, is always present nonetheless. Amen.